Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. My dad and I had a weekly tradition for years, a tradition that started while I lived at home each summer during seminary. Each Saturday morning, I woke up entirely too early and drove the five minutes over to my parents' house. I was greeted by my dad's overexcited black Labrador mutt, Izzy, and my slightly sleepy father. Rain or shine, we would roll our bikes out of his garage, zip up our jackets, and start riding our bikes aimlessly in and out of neighborhoods, with Izzy trailing somewhere behind us. Now, my dad and I are a lot alike. We think while we move, and we need a sounding board to work out things in our heads. So we'd use this hour every, sun, every Saturday to discuss everything we could think of. Work decisions, sermon ideas, family struggles, philosophy, religion, and even sometimes, unfortunately, politics. One of these mornings, as we rode our bikes around a nearby neighborhood, we saw a yard sign reading simply, Jesus 2020. As I cracked a joke about how I didn't even know he was running, we started discussing what it would look like to have Jesus in a political office in the United States. As we talked about how radical Jesus really was and how he would run a country, my dad came to a conclusion. I don't think I'd vote for Jesus. And he's not wrong. When you really think about what Jesus' platform might be, I think he may be the most unpopular candidate we'd ever see. Jesus is simply not compatible with our culture. Jesus is not compatible with how we think of the world. Why do you think he was murdered by the leaders of the day? Jesus was dangerous. C.S. Lewis sums up Christ perfectly in the Chronicles of Narnia when one of the children is asking about meeting Aslan, the Jesus character who just happens to be a lion. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Jesus is not safe. He is a threat to everything our culture tells us life is about. And no one seemed to understand this better than St. Francis of Assisi. Born to a prosperous silk merchant and a noblewoman, Francis was set up for success. Well, at first he indulged in everything money can buy, fine clothes, large fancy meals, and worldly goods. Tradition tells us he quickly became disillusioned with this lifestyle. One day while selling cloth and velvet in the marketplace on behalf of his father, a beggar came to Francis and begged for alms. At the conclusion of his business deal, Francis abandoned his wares and ran after the beggar. When he found him, Francis gave the man everything he had in his pockets. His friends quickly chided and mocked him for his act of charity. And when he got home, his father scolded him in rage. Francis's conversion was not automatic. Rather, he had years in the military, a year as a prisoner of war, time surviving a major illness, and then years where he returned to his lavish life at home to consider what becoming a follower of Christ truly meant. He had strange visions. He was beaten and essentially imprisoned by his father multiple times. 
He begged with the poor. And eventually, he renounced his father's legacy and wealth. Francis finally found his calling when praying in a dilapidated church outside of Assisi. As he stared into the eyes of the icon of Christ crucified, he prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do? Show me what you want me to do with my life. And the Lord answered, a voice as clear as the day responded, Francis, go and rebuild my church, which as you see, is falling down. In today's gospel, we hear about a fruitful fruitful vineyard. The owner has left the tenants in charge. As the owner sends messengers to the tenants to collect the fruits of this land, the tenants, not wanting to give up their bounty, murder each of the messengers. Finally, the owner sends his son, believing that the tenants will respect him. After all, he is not a lowly servant. But the tenants, true to form, murder the son as well. When the owner finally comes to collect, he will deal harshly with these tenants and replace them. In the same way, God has left us the church. He is trusting us to sow and reap and to send him the bounty from our harvest. But in so many periods of the church's history, we think we know better than God. We think our world is somehow different than the one that Jesus lived in. And the kingdom of God becomes the kingdom of us. From the time of Christ, the church has found a myriad of ways to undermine the kingdom. Ministers and church leaders inspire judgment and hate instead of radical love and grace. Churches hold themselves out as having all the answers and condemning those who differ from them, sometimes even to the point of death. Internal squabbles break out over too much exclusivity or too much inclusivity. Leadership and churches become obsessed with growing the church numerically without focusing on whether hearts are really growing toward the living God. Preachers water down the radical message of Christ to make it more palatable for the masses. Church becomes a country club rather than a hospital for the sick. Blessed are the peacemakers becomes blessed are the complicit, the quiet, the unoffensive. We as the church expect attacks on Christ to come from the outside. We expect atheists or Satanists or some weird new philosophy to attack our God. But isn't it so much worse when the tenants, those entrusted with the vineyard, kill the owner's son one stone at a time? We have been entrusted with the vineyard. God has asked us to sow and reap and send him the bounty of the harvest. And he has sent his son to show us the way. This requires radical faith and radical trust. It requires us to deny the safety of our bubble. It requires us to go against common sense and culture and forego what might be in our best interest as individuals, not for the common good, but for the good of the kingdom of God. The kingdom we have been entrusted with The kingdom Jesus is coming to collect. When we really encounter the radical message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when it becomes not so palatable, when we are asked to give our comfort, our money, our lives for our God, when we have the choice of going all in or staying in the shallow end, 
where there is no risk or reward, which will we choose? Are we willing to lose our lives and gain everything? Or will we reject the stone that, if we allow it, could become the cornerstone of our lives, the foundation on which a new life could be built? Like our brother Francis, a man so radical even most of his order could not abide by most of his life rules. Vote Jesus. Choose Jesus. Follow Jesus. Francis dedicated his life to the harvest. He started by physically rebuilding the churches in Italy, and then he metaphorically started rebuilding Christ's church. He started two new monastic orders, one for men and one for women. He made several large trips to evangelize and bring new people to Christ, and he welcomed all creatures as brothers and sisters, believing that nature was a mirror that revealed God's true nature. All of us are called by Christ. All of us will feel the pull to dedicate ourselves more fully to him. And our conversion could be instantaneous, or it could take years. All of us will struggle between what might be easy or comfortable or safe and the radical nature of a true call from God. And you will have a choice. Vote Jesus. Choose Jesus. Follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not easy, and it is not safe, but boy, is it good. Amen?